ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah we seek his assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in, in him from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds whoever Allah guides there is no one that can lead him astray and whoever Allah leads astray there is no one that can guide him I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger I'd like to continue this evening <coughs> with the explanation, the sharh of Kitab al-Tawheed الذي هو حق الله على العبيد by Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab ibn Sulaiman al-Tamimi al-Najdi rahimahullah before beginning with a new chapter, <coughs> just quickly, uh, we will look at the masail or the issues of importance at the end of the chapter and the questions from the handout which we didn't complete in the last lecture. The last lecture, number seven, Tafsir of At-Tawheed, Tafsir of At-Tawheed and Shahada and La ilaha illallah for the explanation of the meaning of Tawheed and the explanation of the Shahada, the testimony of La ilaha illallah. Uh, the Masail that Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab mentions at the end of the chapter, the first of them he says, Fihi Masail, that there are a number of issues of importance and the most important of them, the greatest and the most important of them, it is the Tafsir or the explanation of At-Tawheed and the Tafsir or explanation of Al-Shahada. Uh, and he has made clear these things, the explanation of At-Tawheed and the explanation of the Shahada of La ilaha illallah by a number of very, very clear matters. Uh, from amongst the important matters related to the Tafsir of At-Tawheed is that it is comprised of two parts that is al-bara'a uh, being free from whatever is worshipped besides Allah and declaring our kufr in those things whatever is worshipped besides Allah and the second of them is al-ithbat or the affirmation or confirmation of the divinity for Allah alone and that He alone deserves to be worshipped yani these two things are the utmost importance in the understanding of Tawheed and in the understanding of La ilaha illallah uh, the negation of worship to other than Allah and the affirmation of the worship for Allah alone then he says that from amongst these things the issues is the verse Ayat al-Isra the verse from Surah al-Isra chapter 17 that he mentioned in the beginning of this chapter and in this verse he has made clear the refutation and the rejection of the position of the mushrikeen who used to supplicate to, make dua to, or worship, or offer any acts of worship 
to الصالحين, the righteous people. Yani considering them as being near to Allah and therefore offering some sort of worship to them or supplicating to them, asking them for their needs. Uh, <clears throat> and in this verse, there's the clarification that doing such, supplicating other than Allah, even from amongst those who are from amongst the righteous or considered righteous, prophets or otherwise, uh, this is shirk akbar. This is major shirk. The supplication or offering any type of worship to other than Allah, it is major shirk. And then he says also from amongst these issues is that which is clarified in the ayah of Surah Al-Bara'a. Uh, and, he has, and he has made clear in this verse that the Ahl Kitab, that they have taken their monks and priests or men of religion as arbaban or lords besides Allah. And he has clarified in this verse also that doing so it is kufr, it is shirk. Even though taking them as lords besides Allah here is not in reference to worshipping them directly but it was in reference to obedience to them, ata'ah, shirk in ata'ah, in obedience. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in that verse that they have not been commanded to do anything except to worship the one God, Allah alone. And here uh, also there is the explanation which might lead to some difficulty or misunderstanding. The taking them as lords besides Allah, he said, it was in obeying their scholars and their religious men in acts of disobedience to Allah, not supplicating them directly, not that they supplicated to their religious leaders or their scholars, but that they obeyed them in that which was disobedience to Allah, and this is the meaning of taking them as lords besides Allah, because obedience uh, in these things, in what Allah has commanded us to do, uh, it is the right of Allah alone, and whoever obeys anyone or anything in disobedience to Allah, then this is a, a sort of shirk, it is shirk in a ta'a, shirk in a ta'a. As opposed to the first, the first ayat mentions a shirk in a dua, and that dua, as we said, it could be of two types: actual, yani the asking of something, and uh, masala, or it can be in doing acts of worship, hoping to receive whatever one needs as a result of offering that act of worship. Also, from amongst the important issues is the saying of Al Khalil, alayhi salam, that is Ibrahim to the disbelievers that verily I am free from whatever you worship except the one who has created me yani he made an exception here to the one who created him he is the only one who deserves to be worshipped and here uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes clear in this verse that al-bara'a uh, the declaration of being innocent or free from whatever they have worshipped besides Allah in this verse, it is the explanation of the meaning of the shahada of La ilaha illallah. The first part of it is the negation of anything that deserves to be worshipped besides Allah. And then al-muwalat, that is uh, giving allegiance to Allah alone, is affirmed in the second part of shahada illallah. And here he said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said further on after this verse, that he has made it. Yeah, and in this declaration or this statement of Ibrahim, وَجَعَلَهَا كَلِمَةً بَاقِيَةً فِي عَقِبِهِ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَرْجِعُونَ That he has made it, this statement, as a lasting or eternal word 
that it, perhaps it will be a means for them to return. Yani to bring them back to the correct way, back to the truth. Uh, and also he says, from amongst them is the ayat of Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 167, uh, in which Allah Taala says that those disbelievers, that they would not, yani those who committed shirk in mahabbah, loving something equal to the love of Allah, that they would not come out of the hellfire. And further in that verse he mentions, وَمَا هُمْ بِخَارِجِينَ مِنَ النَّارِ That this type of shirk, it is kufr, major shirk which uh, requires the person to enter the fire. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that they would not come out of the fire. Because they took others as equals besides Allah, loving them as they should love Allah or equal, yani making love for them equal to the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And finally, he mentions the saying of the Prophet ﷺ that whoever said La ilaha illallah made the statement of La ilaha illallah while at the same time declaring disbelief and the rejection of whatever is worshipped besides Allah, then his blood and his or his wealth, property and his blood would be sacred. It would be protected and his account would be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is one of the most important things that has been made clear or that makes clear the meaning of La ilaha illallah. Yani that the statement of La ilaha illallah is not, it's not sufficient just to be pronounced, but it also requires, in addition to that, the rejection and disbelief in whatever is worshipped besides Allah. And here he says that here, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or the Prophet ﷺ in this statement made it clear that it's not sufficient just to pronounce the words of La ilaha illallah in order for a person's blood and property be, to be protected. Nor is it sufficient just to know the meaning of La ilaha illallah while pronouncing it. Nor is it sufficient even to make the confession or affirmation of that. Nor is it sufficient to call on Allah alone and not to associate anything along with Him. And even if a person said La ilaha illallah knowing its meaning and confessing all that is, all that is uh, required of it, and they only worship Allah alone without joining any, anything or anyone with Him in worship. Even that's not sufficient. But they have to go further than that. And they have to uh, also declare the kufr. They have to openly declare the kufr and rejection of everything that is worshipped besides Allah. And whoever doubts or holds back from declaring the kufr of everything that's worshipped besides Allah, then their wealth and their blood would not be protected. And this is... A quick summary of the issues that he has mentioned here at the end of this chapter. Uh, as for the statement of Sheikh Muhammad of Sheikh uh, Abdurrahman al Saadi concerning this matter, due to the lack of time, we will pass over it and just look at the questions quickly. The questions from the handout from last week. The first of them explain how verse uh, it should be corrected instead of fifty-seven seventeen. It should be seventeen. 57. Surah Al-Isra explain how this verse is a clear proof against those who worship other than Allah. Yani those who supplicate or call on other than Allah, seeking a means of nearness to their Lord. How is this verse a proof or a clear proof against those who worship other than Allah? And as we explained in the last lecture, yani if those who are being called upon whether angels or prophets or righteous men or otherwise, if they themselves are seeking nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, trying to get near to Him, 
hoping for his mercy and fearing his punishment then this is what those who are calling on them should also be doing and they should also be calling on Allah alone hoping for his mercy and fearing his punishment what is the meaning of the statement that the believer should be in a state between al-raja hope and al-khawf fear the meaning is that the believer should always have hope of Allah's bounty and his reward and his mercy due to the deeds that they do in worship of Allah and obedience to him and they should also at the same time have fear of his punishment due to their shortcoming and the balance between these two conditions number three discuss the statement of Ibrahim verily I am innocent or free of what you worship except him who originated me the meaning of this statement in brief is that the Prophet Ibrahim السلام, is rejecting the worship of everything other than Allah and affirming the worship of the one who created him, the Lord of the world. If he is the Rabb, then he is the only one who deserves to be worshipped. Number four, explain how the Ahl Kitab took their leaders or their religious leaders as Arbab, lords besides Allah. And in the meaning in this verse of taking their leaders as, as gods or lords besides Allah, it means in obedience, in ta'a. Not that they considered them as a god to bow down to or to supplicate to but that they obeyed them in whatever they made halal or haram in contradiction to what Allah has legislated if Allah declared something to be haram and the religious leaders said that it was halal they would accept it as halal and accept their ruling even though it was in contradiction to Allah so obeying them in disobedience to Allah was a form of worship and this is one of the major forms of uh, shirk al-akbar it is shirk in ta'a in obedience how many are the classes of people concerning the hub or the love of Allah? We said that the people are classified in reference to the hub now. <laughs> We're just trying to go quickly, but if somebody wants to answer, no problem, we can answer. Yani, we said that there are those who love, as mentioned in the discussion of this point, those who love Allah and love others in the same way that they love Allah, equal. They love others equal to the love of Allah. And this is rejected. This is shirk. And there are those who love Allah more than they love anything else. And this is the true position of the believer. That whatever, we, whatever love that we have for anything other than Allah, it would not be equal to our love of Allah. Allah. The love of Allah is greater than the love of anything else. And there are those who love the, the, their false gods or those things that they make equal to Allah. They love them more than they love Allah. And that's even worse than those who make their love of Allah equal to the love of something else. And the worst of them are those who only love other than Allah and they don't love Allah at all. What are the conditions for the protection of a person's life and property according to the hadith? The hadith, the last, the last evidence mentioned. Uh, the conditions are number one, that the person should declare La ilaha illallah from their tongue, knowing its meaning and believing in it. And in addition, and acting in accordance with it, and in addition to that, they have to go further than that and declare or reject everything, and reject everything that's worshipped besides Allah. Declare the kufr and everything besides Allah. What is meant by whoever said La ilaha illallah? The saying of La ilaha illallah, it means saying it, knowing its meaning and understanding it and believing in it and acting in accordance with it. Mention some of the sifat or characteristics of Allah mentioned in this chapter. Uh, some of the sifat that were mentioned here is al uh, maghfirah Allah's mercy, yani that that those who uh, that they are those who seek nearness to Allah, they hope for His mercy and they fear His punishment. 
and also mention of the sifat of Allah mentioned in this section uh, is that Allah is the Almighty, the All-Powerful. And in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, he said that your account will be with Allah and, and we mention these characteristics of Allah, that He is Qawi, Al-Quwa. Mention some of the major types of shirk which are mentioned in this chapter. The, the three of the major types of shirk which are mentioned in this chapter are shirk in Al-Mahabba, in love, loving something equal to Allah or more than Allah, shirk in Atta'a, in obedience, obeying someone in disobedience to Allah, and shirk in in dua, in supplication, supplicating other than Allah, or as we said the dua here, it can have the meaning of dua uh, al-mas'ala, or dua al-ibadah, it may be that they are supplicating other than Allah, or maybe that they are offering acts of worship to other than Allah, seeking something in exchange for that worship. And the fourth type of major shirk which is not mentioned in this chapter is shirk in aniyyah. In aniyyah. That a person makes that they, in their intention, they intend to do something for Allah along with intending to do it for other than Allah. Shirk in aniyyah. These are the four major types, three of them mentioned in this chapter. Okay, that's uh, what we can cover. And now going on to the next chapter. The next chapter entitled Bab Min Shirk Lubs Al Halqati Wal Khayti Wa Nahwihima Li Rafi Al Bala Aw Dafaihi. Bab Min Shirk, that of the types of Shirk or the aspects of Shirk is that a person wears wears a ring or a thread or string or other such things that the people in Jahiliyyah and the Mushrikeen and the people of ignorance of the past as well as today may wear either on their hand, on their arm, around their neck that they attach to themselves or their children or their animals and even today we see it attached to many of the vehicles the people are tying some piece of cloth or something and all of this the use of these things, whether wearing it on oneself or putting it on one's children or on one's property, animals, vehicles or whatever, seeking لِرَفْ الْبَلَاء يعني to remove, to uplift or to remove some harm that has befallen that person or لِدَفْعِهِ or to prevent it, to stop it from befalling someone. يعني either once that affliction has befallen someone to try to remove it or before it befell someone to try to prevent that harm from befalling you, whoever uses such things, thinking that anything other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the ability to bring any good to you or to prevent any harm from you or to remove it from you, all of this is a type of shirk. And this shirk, originally it is minor shirk, shirk al asra but it depends on the intention of the person uh, and their belief in that thing, how they are looking at it, whether or not it would be major shirk. And if the person thinks that this thing is only a sabab, a cause or a reason that may help them to get some good or to prevent some harm from befalling them, then it's minor shirk. Because Allah is the only cause. Unless that cause has been legislated in the Sharia, in the Quran or the Sunnah, such as a person performing prayers as a means of seeking Allah's protection or reward from Allah, or otherwise, or seeking cure for themselves by recitation of Qur'an or otherwise, that which has been legislated in the Sharia, 
If it hasn't been legislated in the Sharia, any cause or reason, any sabab of the asbab that are not legislated in the Sharia, whoever uses those things thinking that it, that it actually is a cause, not that it in and of itself can control anything, but that it is one of the means to bring about some good or to protect one from harm, and it's not legislated, this is shirk, minor shirk. But if the person believes that that thing in and of itself has some power, that it can protect you in and of itself, or it can bring good to you in and of itself, then this is major shirk. So the use of these things, it depends on the belief of the person. Did they use it thinking that it is a means, like medicine is a means to remove illness. It is a means that Allah has, led, that Allah has made in the creation. Allah qaddar. He made it, He decreed that certain types of uh, materials or minerals that He has created may cure a person from certain sicknesses. That is Allah's decree. He made it that thing to have that element. So if a person uses that medicine knowing that Allah has decreed that He has made that thing have the ability to bring about some cure, it is Allah's decree that made it so, and this is acceptable. But when a person uses something that has not been established as being a real cause, a visible yani cause that's known, how it has some effect, uh, then seeking those things as a cause is minor shirk and believing that those things have some ability in and of itself is major shirk. Uh, here, Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab mentions the first evidence of four evidences, one verse from the Qur'an and three hadith or three statements uh, either from the Prophet or from Sahaba that are related to the issue of those who use anything as a means of getting some benefit or preventing some harm whether it's protection from the evil eye, al-ayn, or protection from the jinn or protection from sickness or poverty or affliction or whatever the first of those evidences is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Zumr verse 38 I think it's chapter 39 39, chapter 39, verse 38. The saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Say, What do you think about that which they are calling on, supplicating? It might be as we said, dua, al-mas'ala, asking, supplicating, asking for something from something other than Allah asking them for one's needs or it might be a dua that is al-ibadah yani that they offer some acts of worship to those things other than Allah seeking their needs قُلْ أَفَرَأَيْتُمْ مَا تَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ what do you think about those whatever it may be مَا تَدْعُونَ مَا it means it may be anything whatever whether idols whether the prophets or angels or righteous, uh, whether trees or stones, whatever the people thought that they get some good from or some benefit from, what do you think about their supplicating other than Allah? And this is after the verses before this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it clear and they admitted, as the mushrikeen in the time of the Prophet admitted, that there was no one who created the heavens and the earth except Allah. So if you admit that, that He is the Lord and the Creator and the one who gives life and death, then what do you think about? 
those things, whatever it may be, that they call upon other than Allah. In aradani Allah bidurrin. If Allah intended, if it was the irada, the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bring some harm to me, dur, whether sickness or poverty or affliction, whatever it may be, hal hunna kashifatu durrihi. Then can those things which they are calling on besides Allah, whether angels or prophets or trees or stones or idols, can they remove that harm which Allah has intended for me? Can they remove it? أو أرادني برحمة هل هن ممسكات رحمته؟ Or if Allah intended for me rahma, His mercy, any bounty of Allah, whether good health or richness, يعني wealth or poverty or any of His blessings, whatever of Allah's rahma, if He intended it for me, can those things which they call upon besides Allah, can they hold it back? Can they prevent it from coming to me? The rahma of Allah, His bounty and favor. قل حسب الله Say Allah is sufficient. Allah is sufficient for me. عَلَيْهِ يَتَوَكَّلُوا الْمُتَوَكِّلُونَ That He, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is the one that those who have true faith, yani those who have real trust, the true believers, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is the one that they rely upon, that they depend upon and put their trust in. Allah alone. So here in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it clear that if Allah, if He is the only creator, and the one who gives life and death and has control of the universe, then what do you think about those who are calling on other than Allah? If Allah intended any harm to us, can they remove it? And if Allah intended any good for us, can they hold it back? And after that, he said, say that Allah is sufficient for me, and He is the one whom the true believers put their trust in. Here, the Shaykh, in his explanation, uh, says that in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has com- commanded us or commanded His Prophet Muhammad وسلم, to reject or to make inkar on those mushrikeen who were worshipping idols, to reject the worship that they were offering to those idols who are incapable and unable to do anything. They had no ability to remove harm if it had befallen someone, nor can they hold back any of Allah's favors if Allah intended it for them. Then after ordering the Prophet ﷺ to reject their worship, whatever it may be, dua otherwise, of those idols or those things which have no ability to bring good or to prevent harm, then he ordered him to, to pass his matter or to leave his affair in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah is sufficient in bringing whatever benefit that one may desire. And Allah is sufficient in preventing any harm that one may fear. And Allah is sufficient for all of those who rely upon Him with sincerity, yani sincere reliance. Yani yatawakkul ala Allah. But that tawakkul ala Allah reliance on Allah has to be believing truly and sincerely that Allah is sufficient. Of the fawaid or the points that the Shaykh mentions from this verse, number one, the obligation of rejecting evil whenever we see it. Wujub inkar al-munkar. If we see anything evil, it is obligatory to make inkar, to reject it. And this is mentioned clearly in a statement of the Prophet ﷺ, that whoever sees munkar, men ra'a minkum munkaran falyughayyirhu biyadi. That whoever sees any evil, then he should change it with his hands, and if unable, then speak out against it, and if unable, then at least hate it in the heart, and that's the weakest of faith. The second point is the falsehood of the worship of idols. And in this ayat is a clear proof 
of the falsehood of the worship of any idols or other things that are worshipped or called upon or that anyone puts their hope or fear in other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number three, that the removal of harm and the bringing about of any good, that this is something that is exclusive to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Contrary to many of the people who identify themselves as Muslims today, such as those who go to the graves, to the graves of so-called righteous men, and ask them to give them some good or to protect them from some harm, or to make their uh, wife have children, or to remove sickness from their children or whatever. Uh, this is clearly a form of shirk, major shirk, that the Muslim should be aware of. That the removal of harm and the bringing of good is the right of Allah alone. Number four, the obligation of at-tawakkul ala Allah, putting one's trust and relying totally and completely on Allah, Allah and, and, allow, and letting Allah be, to be sufficient for us without having need of anyone besides Him. And here he says that this is not a contradiction. There is no contradiction between reliance on Allah and at the same time amal al-asbab al-mashru'ah. Yani that whatever things have been legislated in the Sharia and the Deen of Allah that one should do either to bring about good or to protect one from harm. There is no contradiction between taking those causes or those means that are legislated in the Deen and applying them and using them while at the same time having tawakkul or reliance on Allah. And these two things go together. That a person must put their trust totally in Allah and at the same time we are expected to do those things that bring about good and to do those things which protect us from harm. Then he says that the relationship between this verse and the chapter heading yani how or in other words how is it that Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab rahimahullah uh, applied this verse to the chapter heading that from the types of shirk is that a person wears a ring or a thread or a string or something like this in order to remove any affliction or harm from them or to prevent it what is the relationship between the chapter heading and this verse and he says that the relationship here is that this verse shows and proves that removing harm or preventing harm as well as bringing about good is from those things that are exclusive to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala therefore whoever seeks these things from other than Allah such as a ring or bracelet or thread or string or whatever the people may use to bring about good or to prevent harm all of these things are shirk because if it's the exclusive right of Allah alone then to expect it from other than Allah is a means of shirk and this is what is indicated in this verse though this verse is talking about it appears to be talking about major shirk calling on other than Allah or offering worship to other than Allah but perhaps the relationship here which is very clear is that those who call on other than Allah hope and expect some benefit from them while they cannot give any benefit and likewise those who use these uh, things such as al-halqa a ring or khayt, a thread or string or these little pouches that they put something in whatever, all of these things are similar in that the person expects some benefit from it the bringing about of some good or prevention of harm while benefit and harm is controlled by Allah so that those who call on idols and those who use these things are similar in that they expect something from other than Allah that is the exclusive right of Allah alone and both of them are falsehood because benefit and harm, as we said, is the exclusive right of Allah alone. It cannot come from anything, not the angels or the prophets or the righteous or trees or stones or idols 
or these pieces of cloth or threads or strings or whatever the people may use. And the second proof that the Shaykh mentions is the hadith an Imran ibn Hussein radiallahu anhu companion of the Prophet وسلم, and the Nabi وسلم, ra'a rajulan fi yadihi halqatun min sufrin Imran ibn Hussein radiallahu anhu said that the Prophet وسلم, saw a man who had in his hand a brass ring a ring made of brass فَقَالَ مَا هَذِهِ Then he said to him, what is this? And he, what, is this? what is it that you have there? Some of the scholars said that this question, مَا هَذِهِ That its real meaning is not that he was asking what is it? يعني, what is that thing that you have? But the real meaning is that it was استفهام الإنكار That he was making a statement of rejection. Why is it that you are wearing this ring? And it's something that you shouldn't be doing. Not that he was really asking a question. But some of the scholars said it's possible also that the meaning may be the obvious meaning that he was really asking what is it. In any case, whatever was the intention of the question, the man said, Qala min al-wahina That this ring that he is wearing, he is wearing it for protection from weakness or from sickness or some harm. Faqala, then the Prophet ﷺ said to him, Inzi'aha فَإِنَّهَا لَا تَزِيدُكَ إِلَّا وَحَنًا or وَحْنًا He said, remove it immediately for verily it will not increase you in anything except وَحْنًا And you are wearing it من الواحنة to, to protect you from some harm or weakness He said that remove it because it will not do anything except make you more weak It will only increase you in weakness It will not bring you any benefit but it will only bring you harm فَإِنَّكَ Then the Prophet ﷺ made a statement which is of great importance here. فَإِنَّكَ لَوْ مُتَّ وَهِيَ عَلَيْكَ مَا أَفْلَحْتَ أَبَدًا For verily if you had died while wearing this brass ring. Yeah, and he wearing it with the belief that it can protect you from harm or it can bring about some good. If you had died while wearing this ring with that belief then you would never have achieved Al-Falah, success, meaning you would not have been saved from the hellfire and granted admittance into the paradise. This hadith, he said, Rawahu Ahmed bi Sanadin la ba'sabihi, that is reported by Imam Ahmed in his Musnad with a chain of narrators, that la ba'sabihi, yani it's not, um, yani it's acceptable or not that, yani, it's not, it's considered to be an acceptable or fairly good chain of narrators. Here, it's important to mention that although many of the scholars who discuss this hadith, including Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab rahimahullah, who said that the isnad is fairly good, la ba'slihi, and some of the other scholars, it was also reported by Ibn Majah, and Al-Haythami in Majma' al-Zawaid said concerning this hadith that the isnad is hasan, isnaduhu hasan. And likewise, Imam Ibn Hibban, rahimahullah, uh, narrated in his Sahih. And one of the contemporary scholars, Abdul Qadir al-Arnaut, hafizahullah, may Allah protect and preserve him, discussed the chain of this hadith. And although he didn't make a final judgment saying that it was Hassan or Da'if, it seemed as though he was inclined to say that it was Hassan without actually saying it, because he mentioned a number of chains, supporting chains, which seem to give it some strength. And likewise, of the earlier scholars, Al-Hakim declared it, he mentioned in his Mustadrak and declared it to be Sahih, and uh, Al-Imam Al-Zahabi, Rahimahumullah, 
agreed with him in such. However, this hadith contains some defects which perhaps cannot be strengthened by the various chains that have been mentioned by some of the scholars and of those defects is number one that one of the narrators Al-Mubarak that he narrated the hadith with the expression An and he was a mudallis and as we studied the Mustalah hadith a narrator who is mudallis if he doesn't clearly state that he heard the hadith by saying Sami'atu or Hadathani or the language that's clear if he says An which is unclear then his hadith will not be accepted so Al-Mubarak, he was a mudallis and he narrated the hadith with An, which is a major defect without really some supporting evidences if his hadith wouldn't be accepted. But not only that, but likewise, there appears to be inqita or break in the chain between the narrator before Imran ibn Hussein, that is Al-Hasan al-Basri. Uh, there's a break between Al-Hasan al-Basri and Imran ibn Hussein uh, and therefore uh, not only is there a narrator who is mudallas, but also there is a break in the chain since there was no, the correct opinion is that Al-Hasan al-Basri didn't narrate any hadith directly from Imran ibn Hussein radiallahu anhum. For this reason, Shaykh al-Bani rahimahullah, he considered this hadith to be da'if and it appears as though it, the, the safest opinion is that we should uh, we should take precautions to protect the Sharia of Allah and we should be careful from attributing this hadith to the Prophet Wasallam. Uh, perhaps it is more correct to classify it amongst the hadith da'ifa or weak hadith and Allah knows best uh, here in any case yani, since there are a number of scholars who consider the hadith at least to be hasan and some of them even said it was sahih for this reason yani, it requires some examination but we should be cautioned that there is difference of opinion about this hadith. The Shaykh says that in this hadith, Imran ibn Hussein radiallahu anhu mentions that the Prophet wasallam saw a man who was wearing a ring, a brass ring, and he asked him, what was the reason why he was wearing this ring? What was he wearing it for? For what objective? And that man informed him that he was wearing it in order to prevent sickness or some harm or weakness from overcoming him. So the Prophet wasallam ordered him to remove it and he informed him that it would only make you more weak or more sick and he also informed him that if you had died while you continued or insisted on wearing this ring believing that it can bring you some benefit or protect you from some harm then you would never be successful meaning that you would never have the success entering the paradise and be protected from the hellfire and then the shaykh mentions from this hadith number of benefits of fawaid and of course this is yani, according to those scholars who said the hadith is sahih if it is sahih or hasan then uh, yani, these benefits would be affirmed the first of them is that the mufti yani, it is right that the mufti should ask for details before making a ruling or a judgment as the Prophet before making his statement that ordering him to remove it and telling him that if a person died believing that this thing has some benefit that he wouldn't he would never be successful he first asked him what was the reason why you're wearing it what are you wearing this for what is this objective the second thing is considering or consideration of al-maqasid al-maqasid that 
the reasoning why the person is wearing it has to be considered or the reasoning why a person does something has to be considered before a judgment may be, may be made and this is similar to the rule that we mentioned previously الوسائل لها أحكام المقاصد that الوسائل the means to a thing takes on the ruling of the maqasid the objective or the intention behind it so if the person was wearing that ring for decoration yani as the person wears jewelry then there's no harm in it because the intention the maqsad from it is, is, is not prohibited but if the person's maqsad, the intention behind it, was that this thing has some power to give you protection from harm or bring you some benefit, then the ruling changes and the ruling would be based upon the person's intention. So the wearing of it in that case would be haram. This is a very important point. The consideration of the intention or the reasoning or the objective why a person does something. Number three, that the levels of making inkar or rejection, rejecting someone differ. If a person, if it was sufficient to say a word to them, to advise them, then there's no need to be harsh in that case. When you see somebody doing something wrong, if it is sufficient just to inform them and advise them of what they are doing and they will change their behavior, then there's no need to go further than that and to deal with them in a stern or harsh way. As the Prophet ﷺ asked him what was his reasoning for wearing it and when he knew what his objective was, he told him take it off. And it was sufficient. It was sufficient. There was no need to go further than that by actually yani, making inkar or rejection or responding to him by force. Number four, uh, a clarification of the ignorance of the mushrikeen, the people uh, before Islam. Yani, that they used to use these things and believe really that they had some benefit or that they could prevent you from any harm. And the, the ignorance of the, of the mushrikeen before Islam, that ignorance is still present even amongst the Muslims today as we see many of the Muslims believing in such things. Number five, the prohibition of seeking cure by that which is haram. And he's seeking cure for one's sickness by using something that is haram. This is unacceptable. Number six, and this is also a point that requires yani, some further discussion, but there's no time. Number six, uh, that that which has been prohibited by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we cannot expect any benefit to come from it. And if some benefit sometimes might come from it, then know for sure that its harm is greater than its benefit. Yani if any benefit came from that which is haram, know that the harm from it is greater. Otherwise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't forbid something except because of its harm. Because of the harm that it caused, whether physical harm or mental harm or harm in our deen or in our honor or whatever way. There's some harm in it, whether we know it or not. And this is similar to the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in reference to alcohol and gambling in Surah Al-Baqarah chapter 2 verse 219 He said قُلْ فِيهِمَا يعني in reference to alcohol and gambling قُلْ فِيهِمَا إِثْمٌ كَبِيرٌ that in it is a great harm وَمَنَافِيَ لِلنَّاسِ and there's some benefit for the people وَإِثْمُهُمَا أَكْبَرُ مِن نَفْعِهِمَا but its harm is greater than its benefit. Yani even if there is some benefit in these things, know that the harm in them are greater, and for this reason Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prohibited them. Uh, number seven, لا يعذر الشخص بجهله ما إمكان التعلم That a person is not excused due to ignorance alone. Yani ignorance is not an absolute excuse in every case. And here the author, although in the translation, the translator didn't mention the end of this statement ما إمكان التعلم that there is no يعني, that ignorance is not in and of itself an excuse for someone 
And the author says, مَعَ إِمْكَانَ تَعَلُّمْ يعني In the case where a person has the ability to know. If the person didn't have any ability to know, then they're excused by ignorance. But in the case where they have the ability to know, but they don't make any effort to know, then they are not excused by ignorance. And this is because seeking knowledge is obligatory on every Muslim. Therefore we are responsible to know. Number eight, and also this is a big issue also, Al-Udhub al-Jahl, but there's no time to discuss it. The important thing is that in some cases a person's ignorance might be an excuse for them, but not in every case, especially when they had the ability to know and they made no effort to know. Number eight, that uh, a person's deeds, in al-amal bil-khawatimiha, yani that a person, their deeds would be determined according to the last of them, yani what they died upon, and this is understood from the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, that if you had died, uh, and that while you were wearing that ring, you would never have been successful. Yani, the la- what you die upon is what is the concluding factor. Then uh, the Sheikh mentions a few yani, points which are somewhat lengthy. Mulahaza. Uh, the first of them, yani, there's no need to mention it in detail. You may refer back to the Sharh, the book, um, that there appears to be some contradiction between what we are understanding here from this hadith and another hadith reported from Ali ibn al-Hussein marfu'an, yani attributed to the Prophet that a person should plow the land for verily plowing the land is a blessed act, mubarak wa aksiru fihi min al-jamajim and you should yani, plant many seeds yani this hadith seems to suggest that seeking the means to accomplish your goals is encouraged. It is encouraged. And he's saying that there's no contradiction between this and the Prophet ﷺ sternly warning this man against using a ring or other such things that are not legislated in the Sharia. The difference here is that plowing the land and planting seeds are legislated as means that Allah has decreed that they bring about some benefit. These are the means that Allah has decreed in his qadr, in the universal laws, that they bring about benefit. But if you want plants to grow or crops to grow, you have to plow the land and you have to plant seeds. As opposed to what that man was doing, using this brass ring or other such things that are not legislated in the sharia, nor in the universal laws that Allah has decreed. And then he mentions yani, some discussion concerning this hadith that is mursal. And we should note here that the translator has mentioned that a mursal hadith is an incomplete chain of narrators, not reaching to the Prophet. And this definition of mursal is incorrect because a mursal hadith, as we know, is a hadith in which a tabi, a student of the Sahaba, mentions some discussion concerning this hadith that is mursal. And we should note here that the translator has mentioned that a mursal hadith is an incomplete chain of narrators, not reaching to the Prophet. And this definition of mursal is incorrect because a mursal hadith, as we know, is a hadith in which a tabi, a student of the Sahaba mentions a, a statement of the Prophet ﷺ without mentioning who he heard it from. Yani as though he heard it directly from the Prophet. This is the correct definition of a mursal hadith. It means a hadith which has been reported by a tabi'i saying that he saw the Prophet or he heard the Prophet saying such and such and so and so without mentioning who is between him, whether it is another tabi'i as well as a Sahabi or only a Sahabi. In any case, we discuss it in detail in Mustalah Hadith. Uh, then he also mentions that the question of the Prophet, Mahada, when he asked him, what is this ring, it may be understood in two ways, as we already mentioned, that perhaps he was making a statement of disapproval for him wearing that ring, or perhaps he was actually asking yani, the reality of why he was wearing it. And the third thing, uh, 
The third thing that he mentions is that some of the scholars have said that wearing rings or such things as this, seeking some benefit from them, uh, and what we understand from this hadith, or what might be understood from the hadith of Imran, that it's shirk akbar, that it's major shirk, because the Prophet said that if you continue to wear, if you died on it, then you would never have achieved success. From that we understand that this must be major shirk. Uh, and then the Shaykh basically mentions here, the point that he mentions here is that the understanding of this, or the clarification of this, is that uh, the success that the Prophet said that he would never achieve, it may be understood in two ways. And that is based on the intention of the person. If the intention was that they were using this thing as a means, a sabab, Though it's not legislated in the Sharia, if it is, if they just thought that this is one of the means that brings about protection, then this would be minor shirk. And in that case, they wouldn't have achieved the perfect success. Yani they wouldn't have been saved absolutely from the hellfire. Perhaps they may have been punished in the hellfire for committing minor shirk. Or if the person's intention was that this thing was in and of itself something that has power to protect or to bring some benefit, and in that case, that would be major shirk. And in that case, the meaning that he would never achieve, achieve success means that he would have never entered the paradise at all. That he would definitely have entered the hellfire and remained in it. So here, the success here, it may be total success of never entering the hellfire, or it may be the success of yani, not being permanently in the hellfire, yani, escaping from it after some punishment. And that depends on the intention of the person who uses such things. If he uses it, thinking that it's only a means, and it's really not a means that's, means that's legislated by Allah, but he thinks that it's a means, and this is minor shirk, and he may be punished for it. Though he will enter the paradise if he died as a believer, though he practiced this minor shirk. Whereas if he believed that it, it in and of itself has some power, yani that it can move or make things happen independent of Allah, then this is major shirk, and that person would enter the hellfire and would never escape from it. They would die as a mushrik. Then he says the relationship between this hadith and the chapter heading is that this hadith indicates and he points to the fact that a person should reject the wearing of rings to prevent any harm or any such similar things to prevent any harm because the bringing about of benefit or preventing of harm this is of those things that are the exclusive power or right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and whoever seeks it from other than Allah then they have made shirk with Allah the third evidence that he mentions is a hadith reported also by Imam Ahmed Wallahu an Uqbata ibn Amir that Imam Ahmed has also related a hadith from Uqba ibn Amir radiallahu anhu marfu'an yani attributing it to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam tamimatan fala atammallahu lahu that whoever ties to himself a tamima yani an, an amulet or talisman or something that the people use yani uh, that they think that when they wear these things, it has some ability to protect them or bring about some good. Then the Prophet said, فَلَا أَتَمَّ اللَّهِ لَهُ Then Allah should not يعني, make him achieve that which he is seeking. And whoever, whoever uses the tamima, thinking that they will get some benefit from it, the Prophet said, may Allah not make it benefit him. وَمَنْ تَعَلَّقَ وَدَعَةً And whoever uses a wada'a, that is some kind of shell from the sea, seashell or something like this, like an oyster, Oyster, a shell from oyster uh, or clam, 
He said that whoever uses such a thing, فَلَا وَدَعَ اللَّهُ لَهُ Then may Allah not grant him that which he is seeking of peace or calmness or tranquility. May Allah make it that he doesn't get that which he is seeking by using this thing which is not legislated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Sharia. And likewise, uh, this hadith reported by Imam Ahmed, it has been reported yani, in a number of places in his Musnad and after following them, it became clear that all of them are, are narrated by the same chain of narrators which contains in it a narrator named Khalid ibn Ubaid al-Mu'afari and that narrator was not given confirmation, tawfiq, by anyone other than Ibn Hibban and as we studied in Mustal Hadith, Ibn Hibban rahimahullah used to narrate many narrators who were majhul, who were unknown, who didn't have any confirmation as a reliable or acceptable narrator and therefore we don't accept their reports. So here once again Ibn Hibban has given tawfiq to a narrator who is majhul and apparently this hadith is the only hadith that's reported from him and no one else has reported from him which makes him appear to be of the type of majhul, jahalat al-ayn, majhul al-ayn that only one person reported from which is worse than the one that two or more reported from but nobody gave him tawfiq so that's even worse in any case uh, though this hadith appears to be da'if and also a number of other scholars including al-Tahawi and al-Hakim and al-Zahabi seem to suggest that this hadith has some authenticity but there is another narration of a similar hadith in the Musnad of Imam Ahmed and here Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab says وَفِي رِوَايَةٍ مَنْ عَلَّكَ تَمِيمَةً فَقَدْ أَشْرَكَ and though in most of the books I found the narration says مَنْ تَعَلَّكَ but when I looked in the Mustadrak of Al-Hakim and the Musnad of Imam Ahmed and other books of hadith all of them narrated the hadith مَنْ عَلَّكَ تَمِيمَةً فَقَدْ أَشْرَكَ that whoever ties to himself a tamima any these things that they use seeking protection from it or some benefit فَقَدْ أَشْرَقَاد and that person has committed an act of shirk and this hadith confirms the meaning of the earlier hadith about tying or wearing the tamima in fact this hadith goes further and says that whoever does so يعني, that it is an act of shirk and this hadith is sahih as a number of scholars have mentioned and Shaykh al-Albani also mentioned it in the discussion of the first narration he mentioned that this one is authentic. Uh, here the Shaykh says that here in this hadith, Uqba ibn Amir radiallahu anhu mentions that the Prophet supplicated against those who wear the tamima or the wada'a, whoever uses these things, strings or cords or rings or seashells or anything that the people wear or tie to themselves or tie to their children or their animals or their vehicles or their homes seeking some benefit or protection from harm believing that it actually has the ability to do so uh, here the Prophet ﷺ supplicated against them in the first narration and in the second narration he declared it to be an act of shirk and in that is if the person uses these things believing that uh, they can bring some benefit or prevent some harm and again it, the issue goes back to what is the belief of that person do they believe that this thing is a sabab, a cause or a reason that's not independent of Allah but it is a cause that helps the person to achieve their goal then that's minor shirk but if they believe that it has the power independent of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bring some benefit or prevent some harm then this is major shirk uh, then the shaykh mentions the fawaid from this hadith he mentions four benefits the first of them is the negation of that believed or expected benefit that the people think they will get from the tamima or the wada'a 
that this hadith shows that there is no such benefit that you will get from these things. Second, the, permiss- the permiss- per- permissibility of supplicating against the wrongdoers in general. Yani sinful people in general as the Prophet made a general supplication. Man ta'allaka tamima. And whoever did this, it's a general statement, then he supplicated against them. And likewise, uh, it's permissible to supplicate in general against the people uh, who do wrong, whether disbelievers or mushrikeen or otherwise, without making supplication against a particular individual. But if you say, يعني الله May Allah's curse be on the mushrikeen or the kafirin or other such statements like this that are general, it is permissible. Uh, the third one is that some of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ were unaware of this uh, ruling. Some of them were unaware of it. And so what do we imagine of those who came after them? And if some of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ were unaware that this was a form of shirk, then the people who came later are even more unaware. And number four, uh, that at tamima this amulet or talisman or charms or whatever the people are using, that this, the use of this thing, believing that it has some ability to bring benefit or prevent harm, that it is a type of shirk. Uh, here he says that the relationship between this hadith and the chapter heading is that this hadith indicates that tying a tamima to one's body or one's children or otherwise, thinking that it can bring some benefit, that it is a form of shirk because bringing, the bringing of benefit and prevention of harm it is of the exclusive right and ability of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. The last uh, point that the Shaykh mentions is uh, a statement Ibn Abi Hatim, the great scholar Ibn Abi Hatim rahimahullah, an Hudayfa, who narrated from Hudayfa, anhu ra'a rajulan fi yadihi khaytun min al-humma faqata'ahu wa tala qawlahu ta'ala wa ma yu'minu aksharuhum billahi illa wa hum mushrikun. That Ibn Abi Hatim rahimahullah mentions a state from Hudayfa, yani, not attributing to the Prophet, but mawquf, a statement from Hudayfa, that he saw a man who had in his hand a thread or a string and he was wearing it to protect him from the fever, min al-humma, So Hudayfa, knowing that this was something, that it was a form of shirk and evil, uh, he, he cut it and then he recited the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَمَا يُؤْمِنُوا أَكْثَرُهُمْ بِاللَّهِ That most of them do not have iman or most of them do not believe in Allah إِلَّا وَهُمْ مُشْرِكُونَ Except that they associate with Allah. Yani that even though some of them, they have iman, iman in the rububiyah of Allah. That Allah is the creator or whatever. But at the same time, they make shirk in al-ubudiyah. Uh, yani in the worship of Allah. Though they may believe that Allah is the God and the creator, but they also at the same time make shirk by worshipping other things besides them, whether major shirk or minor shirk. Uh, and this mawquf athar or statement from Ibn Abi Hatim from Hudayfa radiallahu anhu, uh, though most of the scholars didn't comment on it in Taysir al-Aziz al-Hamid by the grandson of Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab, explanation of Kitab al-Tawheed, he narrates this hadith or this statement from Ibn Abi Hatim and in the isnad of the hadith he mentions that it was reported from Urwa ibn al-Zubayr radiallahu anhuma from Hudayfa radiallahu anhu 
And Urwa ibn Zubair, though he married for many of the Sahaba, including his brother Abdul ibn Zubair, and his father and his mother, as Zubair, and Asma ibn Abi Bakr Siddiq, and he married for Abdul ibn Umar, Abdul ibn Abbas, and many of the scholars of Sahaba, including Aisha and Umm Salama, but there is no report that he narrated from, uh, from Hudayfa, radiallahu anhu. And when I checked in Tahdib al-Tahdib ibn Hajj al-Asqalani, where he usually narrates from each of the reporters, most of the major scholars, who they, people who they narrated from, and those who narrated from them, he mentioned about 30 or 40 of companions of the Prophet ﷺ that Urwa narrated from, and he didn't mention from amongst them Hudayfa. So it is yani, more probable that Urwa didn't narrate from Hudayfa, which means that this mawquf asr, the statement here attributed to Hudayfa, has a defect in it. There is someone between Urwa and Hudayfa radiallahu anhu, and therefore it is more likely that this statement is not authentic, or at least it has some weakness that we should be cautioned against. In any case, the verse of the Qur'an is sufficient in and of itself, and there are many other proofs which show that the use of such things as threads or strings or seashells or amulets or talismans or charms or other such things that have no power in and of themselves and they have not been legislated in the Sharia that it is haram to use them it is haram to use them and depending on the belief of the person in that thing it may be major shirk or minor shirk in any case the Sheikh says here that Hudayfa and in this report it is reported that Hudayfa visited a sick person and found a thread in his hand and when he asked him about what was his objective in using that thing he informed him that he was using it to protect him from fever so Hudayfa cut it considering it to be shirk and he used as a proof the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that most of them do not believe in Allah except that they also practice shirk and even though they believe in Allah but they still fall into some type of shirk and that is that many of the people though they are believing in Allah and His rububiyyah at the same time they mix up their iman with shirk in ubudiyah and this is what is commonly spread amongst the Muslims today in all of, most of the Muslim lands we find that the Muslims have belief or iman in the rububiyyah of Allah but they also mix it with shirk in the ubudiyah or the worship of Allah they worship uh, other than Allah directly or indirectly or they ascribe the powers that belong to Allah alone to other than Him and expect some help uh, or some protection from other than Allah while all of this is the exclusive right of Allah alone. Then the Shaykh mentions a number of points derived from this statement uh, that the uh, removing of that which is evil or wrong by the use of one's hand as Hulayfa cut that string from the person uh, even without permission from the one who is doing it. Yani the removal of that which is wrong and harmful or sinful it should be done even by force. Inshallah after that then we'll just complete these points and close. Allah And just quickly, the points that he mentioned here uh, remaining is that whoever takes a thread or string or such things thinking that it can prevent some harm, that this is shirk. And the obligation of rejecting and speaking out against such evils. And also the deep understanding of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ and their wide knowledge in that Hudayfa radiallahu anhu understood that this was something evil and he understood its harm. Number five, that shirk is even present in this ummah and even the ummah of Muhammad ﷺ, there is shirk present amongst them. Uh, and as we know today, it is widespread. Number six, that the heart of a person 
might contain or might combine between al-iman and al-shirk that a person may believe in Allah as we said in the rububiyah of Allah while at the same time committing some act of shirk in ubudiyah it's possible that a person may combine the two uh, and finally he says that the relationship between this uh, action of Hudayfa and the chapter heading um, is that whoever takes the use of such things to prevent harm or to bring some benefit that it is an act of shirk because the prevention of harm and as well as the bringing about of any good it is only the right and ability of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and nothing in the creation uh, has the ability to protect one from any harm or to bring about any good uh, the questions just quickly yani in just a word we may say what is the hukum wearing al-halqa and al-khayt as a means of prevention of afflictions that it's haram and depending on the person's intention it may be major shirk or minor shirk explain the relationship between verse 39-38 that is Surah Al-Zuma the first ayah mentioned here and the wearing of al-halqa and al-khayt the relationship between this verse and the wearing of these things is that the wearing of these things a person expects that there is some benefit from it while benefit only comes from Allah and in this verse the people who used to invoke idols besides Allah also expected some benefit from them while benefit only comes from the Creator what is meant by the Prophet some question to the man wearing a brass ring what is this and we said that the question has two possibilities that perhaps he was really asking what is it or he may have been making inkar or rejection of the action of him using such a thing when it had no ability in and of itself what do we understand from the Prophet command to the same man remove it at once we understand that if he ordered him to remove it that it was wajib for him to remove it and that that thing is haram and also we understand from that that when we see a munkar or evil that we should act upon it either to remove it or to order it yani, to the use of the tongue or any other means to reject it explain and were you to die whilst wearing it you would never be successful here uh, this means that if the person died wearing that thing believing that it had some power and they would never be successful if they believe that it had power in and of itself they would never enter the paradise because that's major shirk and if they believe that it was only a means not independent of Allah and that would be my shirk and they would they would not achieve the perfect success that is of being saved from ever entering the fire but they might be punished for some time and then escape from it what is meant by Allaka, the one who wears in the hadith whoever wears that Tamima has committed an act of shirk it means the person who wears this thing believing that it has some ability to protect him or bring some good explain the verse in Surah Yusuf chapter 12 verse 106 how is it used as a proof against someone wearing a khayt for protection uh, it is used as a proof or a, a, a against someone in, in which way in that this thing uh, it is the belief yani the person believes that it has some ability to protect them or to bring some benefit and therefore yani this is similar though this is minor shirk and in the verse what is mentioned in Surah Yusuf it is major shirk but yet both of them are believing in something or expecting some benefit from something other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and some of the benefits that are mentioned that are derived from this chapter you can look at the ayah from the Quran and the verses or the hadith to look at some of the benefits that may be immediately derived from them uh, that's all we can do today inshallah in the next week we will take the next chapter or we might even look at the Messiah, but there's no chance to look at them today. Subhanahu wa bihamdika. Shadwan la ilaha illa anta sakfa ukawa tu